You're listening to an audio message from Harvest Bible Chapel in Granger, Indiana. For more information, visit our website at harvestgranger.org. You've got your Bible open to Luke chapter 1. Last week we started this journey through the Gospel of Luke and I told you that chapter 1 includes two different parallel stories and they form a sandwich. And last week we looked at the bookends and uh, that was about uh, a family that had a mom named Elizabeth and there was this dad named Zechariah and then they had this baby named John. And the story we're going to talk about this morning is about another family. They're related, they're cousins, and that happens right here in the middle. Um, The title The title of the message today is a question. The question is this, where did Jesus come from? Now, let me ask you the question. As I get to know people, that's one of the first questions I ask because I want to get to know how much distance are we going to have to uh, span in order for us to have a relationship, okay? So on the count of three, in in a one-word answer, would you please tell me where you are from on the count of three? Three, two, one. Yeah, well, um, that's disappointing um, that you came from there. Uh, actually, that's the response I get because I am from Oklahoma. That's, that's people, I'm sorry. Um, but I, I made it here as quick as I could. So the question that we're trying to answer this morning is actually a question that the recipient of Luke's letter wanted to know. You remember this guy named Theophilus. Luke is writing to this real person named Theophilus. And the big question is, who is Jesus? I've heard about this guy. Not sure I got all the facts. So Luke starts to answer that question by answering this question, where did Jesus come from? So we're going to learn the answer to that question. Do you remember the old guy that was, um, used to be on CNN, his name was Larry King? All the people, 40-year-olds and up, so yeah, and all the 40-year-olds are like, I don't know. So anyway, there's this guy who used to interview famous people on TV, and, uh, and somebody asked Larry King, of all the people that have ever lived in history, who would you like to interview? And Larry said, Jesus. And then they ask him, what one question would you want to ask Jesus? And Larry said, I would want to ask him, were you really born of a virgin? And he said, the answer to that question would define history for me. So this is not an insignificant question. We've got to know where Jesus came from. So let's try to answer that question here and uh, let's use the summary word incarnation. But let's begin reading here in Luke chapter 1 verse 26. In the sixth month, all right, the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy. Remember the angel showed up and told Zechariah, your barren wife, remember she's so old, she's going to have a baby. So six months after that happened, another event happened. The angel Gabriel was sent from God. Now the same angel appeared to Zechariah in Jerusalem in the temple, the most glorious place, the most prominent place, the capital place in Israel. That's where the story of Zechariah, Elizabeth, and John took place. Now we have moved six months ahead and 50 miles north to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. Galilee was a region, we would probably say like a county in northern Israel. The Sea of Galilee was there. Jesus' ministry took place around there, so much of it. And then away from the Sea of Galilee a little bit was this little hick town named Nazareth. Okay? So one of the ways we get to answer this question is we could say Jesus came from Nazareth. As a matter of fact, two of his disciples one day were having a conversation. Uh, They were brothers. Philip met Jesus 
And then he wanted to introduce Jesus to Nathaniel, his brother. So Philip says, come and see this Jesus of Nazareth. And Nathaniel's response was, seriously, could anything good come from Nazareth? That's the same response I get when I tell people I'm from Oklahoma, right? And so anyway, this was not a prominent place. This was one of the most insignificant places. It was backwoods. It was hick. It was poor, insignificant until an angel shows up to talk to this girl. Notice it says in verse 27, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph, of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. So do you see the word betrothed there? Is there anybody here that's currently betrothed to anyone? Is, it, is anybody here um, engaged? Any, any engaged people here? All right, good. All right, cool. Uh, any married people here? Okay, good, good. All right, so we'll stop there. So um, betrothal is not like something that's kind of in our list of things that happen in a relationship. So you go from like, you go from friends to dating to engagement to married. All right, that's, that's kind of our culture. In this culture, here you went from you don't know each other, you're betrothed, you're married. Okay, that's, that's kind of the, the Jewish culture back there. So betrothal is this. It's, it's more serious than dating. It's more serious than engagement, but it's less serious than marriage. So it's somewhere between engagement and marriage. Joseph would have already referred to her as my wife. Meet my wife, Mary. Okay? Now, you could get betrothed as early as age 12. Most girls in this culture were betrothed before the age of 15. So our question is, well, how old was Mary's? How, how old was Mary? The Bible doesn't tell us how old she was, but if she was a typical Jewish girl, she was between the age of 12 and 15. Any 15-year-old girls in the house? 15-year-old girls? Is there a 15-year-old girl in the house? All right, stand up. Stand up. 15-year-old girl on the front row. Turn around. Show them what a 15-year-old girl looks like. Okay, this, this is Mary. All right, thank you. You can be seated. Thank you so much. She's never going to come back to church again. All right, so, no, we're so glad you're here. So here's the deal. How, how would the 15-year-old you respond to an angel showing up? Let's find out because we got to find out where Mary's from, uh, where Jesus is from. So the first answer to the question is Jesus is from Nazareth. Second answer is Jesus is from a virgin. The word virgin, that, that word kind of has shock value um, in our hypersexualized culture, doesn't it? So let's, I don't want to miss the opportunity here. Do you know, do, do you understand like what the Christian sexual ethic is. Here it is, boys and girls. Um, God's plan is for boys and girls to remain virgins until they're married. Just write that down. I know that's shock. I was like, really? How does that? I don't know anybody that's ever done that. Now listen, God's plan has always been for boys and girls to remain virgins until they're married. If you want to have sex, get married. If you're having sex and you're not married, let me love you enough to give you some advice. Stop. 
and get on God's plan for marriage. The reason is you want God's blessing on your relationships, right? Everybody here wants God to bless it. But God can't bless it when you're outside of the boundaries. So bring your sexuality under the lordship of Jesus. If you've been having sex outside of marriage, you're sinning. Here's the good news of the gospel. God forgives sexual sinners, and we're all sexual sinners. So come back, get a clean start, fresh forgiveness, confess it as sin, and let God give you his blessing on your relationships, okay? So I want to save you the heartache. She's like, I just don't even think that's possible. I don't even know anybody. Yes, you do. You know me. I got married when I was 27. I was a virgin, okay? And tomorrow's be my 24th wedding anniversary. That's presumptuous, but we're going to make it, I think, to tomorrow. And I have five kids and no regrets. I highly recommend this process, okay? So that's just a little side note there. That's not part of the sermon. That was a commercial. So the, here's, the, here's the thing I came to tell you. Okay, Jesus, what, Jesus came from Nazareth. Jesus came from a virgin, which means this. Jesus came from God as God. Think about this. And this is what's happening to Mary as she's listening to this angel telling her, you're going to have a baby without having sex. Look at verse 28. And he came to her and said, greetings. Seasons of greetings. That's where we get our little phrase, seasons greetings. Oh, favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled, you think, at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Now, the word favor there doesn't mean that she was God's favorite because she was good. The word favor always means favor because God is good. She wasn't, she wasn't favored because she was a virgin. She wasn't favored because she was better than anybody else. It's just God loves to put favor on undeserving people. You can have God's favor this morning, just like Mary did. And God says, you found favor with God. Then verse 31, and behold, there's our word. Is that becoming one of your favorite words? We're going to see it six times in the passage, okay, today. Behold, and that just means you, you got to pay attention. There's stuff you got to know. You got to see this. You will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. First time Jesus is named in the New Testament story of Luke. And we're learning that names have meanings. The name Jesus means the Lord saves or the Lord is salvation. So now we're learning not only where Jesus came from, but we're learning what he came for. He came to save. Then verse 32, he will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his, of his kingdom there will be no end. He will be great. The word is mega. You got to remember that this was in the days where the ruler over this area was Herod the Great at least in his own eyes. And God says, oh, we're, we're going to show you some greatness here. We're going to have Jesus, and he will be great. And now Mary's told, not only is he going to be your son, but he's going to be the son of the most high, the son of the highest. 
son of God. He's going to have a, he's not just going to have a human nature, he's going to have a divine nature. And he's going to have a throne on which he reigns. This was a a kingdom that had kings and everybody's been waiting for a thousand years for a king to come and rule. And Mary's told, your son's going to reign on that throne and he's not ever going to give it up. You're not going to be another king. He's going to reign forever. That's what the 15-year-old is having to process. Now, you have to understand something. Every time I read verse 32... I am transported back to 1991. I was 24 years old. Now, how many of you have ever been in a a Christmas program? You raise your hand if you've ever been in a Christmas program. Second grade. Anybody ever get to be a sheep? Anybody ever get to be um, an angel? How many of you got to be the angel in the Christmas program? Great. How many of you ever been in a Christmas cantata? You ever been in a big church that had a big Christmas cantata with poinsettias everywhere and you had to wear a robe? And do you remember like back in, for those of you that are old enough, back in the like 80s and 90s, churches did these way overproduced Christmas programs. Some of them like built Christmas trees and people like climbed up in the, they called them the singing Christmas trees. Have you ever been a part of a singing Christmas tree or ever seen one of these? So listen, when I was 24 years old, I was part of this big church in Memphis, Tennessee, Bellevue Baptist Church, pastored by Adrian Rogers. And I was in the choir and we had this huge Christmas program, the singing Christmas tree, 7,000 seat auditorium, full orchestra, 400 voices in the choir and they let me have the big solo in the Christmas play. I was the angel. I got to be the angel. And, and I got to dress up in a white tuxedo with a red bow tie. How many of you wish you could have seen me as a 24-year-old in 1991 singing the song? I have a video. <laughs> Would you want to see that? All right, this is my Christmas present to you. Here, here it is. Thank you. I'll be signing autographs later. (laughs) Nick thinks he does some creative stuff. (laughs) I keep telling Mike and Nick, like, when are we going to do that for Christmas, okay? Next Christmas, that's what we're going to do, okay? So what what are we celebrating here when we talk about Christmas? We are celebrating what we call the doctrine of incarnation. 
Let's talk about that word for a minute, okay? It comes from a Latin word. It's also Spanish, carne. How many of you uh, know what a carnivore is? You know what a carnivore is? Right, what is that? It's a meat-eating animal. How many of you are actually carnivores? I am a carnivore, right? I, I need some meat every now and then, right? So this is what it means. Now, let your mind explode with this thought. God, who is not like you, he is spirit. God, who is spirit, became meat. He was 100% God with human meat wrapped around him. That's the announcement that the angel was making to the 15-year-old girl, is that God who was transcendent, distant, other, unreachable, chose by grace and love to leave his world and enter into our world. Nazareth, Bethlehem, I've been there. It's not great, but he's great. And he came as a baby into the world just like you and I came into the world. What is he trying to tell us? He's trying to tell us that even though I am not like you, I am becoming like you so you can become like God. This is what sets Christianity apart from every other major religion in the world. Every other religion in the world says that you as a man can become God through enlightenment or just be good. The, if you're good and if you're better than others or better than most or better than everybody else, then everybody will like think you're God and then you could pretend to be God. Maybe some people even call you God. That's actually sinful. It's, it's because we're so arrogant and proud we want to be God. That's every other religion in the world. Christianity is about humility, a God who humbled himself to become like us. He came into our world so he could take us into his world, a place we couldn't go unless he left his world, came into our world to take us to his world. Where did Jesus come from? Jesus came from the world you want to go to but can't get there unless he leaves his world and comes to your world so he can take you there. That's the doctrine of the incarnation. And it means that Jesus has two distinct natures. He was 100% God and 100% man. He became man without losing any of his godness, okay? The incarnation is about addition, not subtracting. He didn't stop being God. Jesus, when he was born into our world, became something he never had been, human, without losing anything that he had always had, divinity. And we needed a representative human to represent us before God because there was no human that could go into God's existence because every human was broken and fallen and flawed until Jesus showed up. And now because Jesus took on flesh, as Micah told us earlier, he had human blood, human nerve endings. He needed a human body because that human body needed to endure pain on the cross to pay the price for sin. Not only that, because of his humanity, he sympathizes with your humanity. 
the mess that you are. You ever been heartbroken? Jesus was heartbroken. You ever been stressed out? Jesus was stressed out. You ever been betrayed by a friend? Jesus was betrayed by a friend. All in his humanity. And so if you think that somehow God can't sympathize with what you went through this week, Jesus went through all of it. The pain, the loneliness, the agony, the stress, the confusion, all of that in his humanity. And yet, as God, he was a sinless man. Here's the most important thing about the incarnation. You say, is it really necessary that Jesus was born of a virgin? Do I have to believe that? Because that's really hard to believe. Do I have to believe that? Let me give you some reasons why you have to believe that in order to be a Christian. Number one, if Jesus was not born of a virgin, we're still waiting on a Messiah. The reason for that is this, 700 years before Jesus was born, the prophet Isaiah said this about the Savior that would be born. In Isaiah 7, 14, he said, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, there's our word, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name God with us. Until Jesus was born, we were without God in this world. When Jesus was born, we have God with us in Jesus. That's what the promised Messiah was going to be. And if Jesus was not born of a virgin, we're still waiting on a virgin to conceive. Not only that, but if Jesus wasn't born of a virgin, Mary is a huge liar. She must have either lied to Joseph. Hey, Joseph, I'm going to have a baby, but I haven't had sex. Right. Can you imagine going to her dad? I have some daughters. If they come to me and say, hey, dad, I'm having a baby, but I've never had sex. Right. Where is he? <laughs> no. And, or, or maybe Mary and Joseph, they were sleeping around, but they deceived everybody else or tried to deceive it with this really crazy story. Here's the most important thing. Jesus had to be born of a virgin in order to be sinless to be our sacrifice for sinners. If Jesus was born just like all of us, then guess what? He was a natural born sinner just like you and me because every human that's ever been born is infected with fallen sinful DNA. You're not a sinner because you sin you sin because you are a sinner. It's your nature. You just, you're addicted to sin and you're allergic to God because you're human. If Jesus was born like us, then he has the same nature. Sinful, broken, fallen, bent away from God. And he never could have lived a certain sinless life. But because Jesus didn't have an earthly father, he was conceived of the Holy Spirit. He was holy so that he could live the representative holy life to offer to God on our behalf. And he could die the representative holy death that we should have died so that God treated Jesus as if he was sinful so God could treat sinful man as if they were sinless. That's the, important of the importance of the incarnation. You have to believe this to be a Christian. 
you say, that's impossible. That's what Mary said. That's the second question. Isn't that impossible? Now, remember the occupation of the one writing this to us. He was an OBGYN. Well, we don't know if he was, that, they probably didn't have that specialty back in the days, but he was a physician. And he is writing to us about things that are physically impossible. And yet, this is what he records the angel as saying. Look here in verse 34. And Mary said to the angel, how, how will this be since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, you're not the only one. Your relative Elizabeth in her old age has conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. Now, as impossible as it was for Elizabeth to get pregnant because she was old, it's just as impossible for you to get pregnant because you're young and a virgin. But, verse 37, nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, behold. I love it that like now she's using the angel's language back on him. It's like, you got to see some stuff here. Behold. I am the servant of the Lord. See the word servant there? The Greek word is doulos. It actually means slave. You know what she's saying? I am giving up my freedom and my right to have a respectable, simple, uncluttered life in order to go with your plan. Look at the next three words. She says, I am the servant of the Lord, let it be. I don't know which Beatle wrote that song, but it's a Christmas carol, okay? Let it be, let it be to me according to your word. The angel departed from her. Do you know what she's saying? It's like, do you, all right, sorry, she's wrapping her mind around this. Do you realize how you've just wrecked my life? I may have just lost my reputation because everybody's gonna think I'm sleeping around. I may have just lost my husband because he thinks I slept with somebody else. I, I may get kicked out of my house because dad's not going to believe me. As a matter of fact, under Jewish law, you're supposed, to, you're supposed to kill someone who's committed fornication. She's like, I don't know what this is going to cost me, but I believe you. I trust you. I can't explain it. It doesn't make sense. It seems impossible but I trust you. And the process that Mary went through, contemplation, is the same process that you have to go through in order to be a Christian. Every one of us who's ever confronted with these truths, with the Bible, if you're new to the Bible, if you're new to the whole idea of a, of a virgin-born Savior, if all of that is new to you, you, you're right at the starting point we all start out with. The gospel seems impossible. Really, God seems so far away, but you're trying to tell me like he came to our world and really and like Jesus' death actually meant something for me and what happened 2,000 years ago applied. To, I mean, the world's progressed and does anybody? Yeah, so here's the deal. We all start that way. As a matter of fact, listen to me. If you've been in church all of your life, if you heard this story as early as you can possibly remember and you just kind of always believed it, if it's never seemed impossible to you, maybe you've never really thought about it before. 
Have you checked your brain at the door? You shouldn't do that as a Christian. You bring all your doubts. You bring all your questions. God's not afraid of your question. Mary asked him a question. How is this going to be? Now, there's two ways to ask God a question. You don't want to ask God a question accusatively. Like, I know better than you. You do want to ask God questions inquisitively. I want to know your will and your ways. I want to know what you're up to. I want to to be a part of your plan. How can I be a part of your plan? Sign me up. That's how Mary asked the question. And so the gospel may seem impossible to you, but after a while, the gospel starts to seem inescapable. It's like you try other ways to make sense of the world. You, you run to this worldview and, and that doesn't work. And you run to this philosophy and that doesn't work. And you still feel restless. You still feel full of shame. You feel, don't feel like you're doing what you were created and you're thinking. It's like, why? You know what? The Holy Spirit is chasing you down. He is trying to get you to behold what is otherwise impossible without God. But when God opens your eyes and you behold how magnificent Christ is and you can't deny the stories, the gospel becomes undeniable. And that's where you have to get in order to become a Christian. If you've never gotten there, welcome on in. Welcome to to the body. Welcome to the family. God's not afraid of your question. For some people, that takes like 15 minutes to walk through those three stages. For some people, that takes a lifetime. I don't know where you're at, but I invite you to, like Mary, bring your questions. Let God, by his spirit, open your eyes to things that would otherwise be impossible. The story continues, and uh, we read here in verse 39. In those days... Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judea. So she travels 50 miles from the north to the south down to where Elizabeth and Zechariah live. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women and blessed is the fruit of your womb. Now, some of you that are older, you were really annoyed that I had lifted my voice there. Um, I apologize, but notice what happens when a baby and an old woman get in the presence of Jesus. The baby leaps and the old woman gets loud. I'm all for leaping and loudness in church as long as it's in response to the entrance of Jesus in the room. That's what's supposed to happen. So if you're just kind of a stoic person that just doesn't like loud noises and things like that, um, you, you need to be more like this old, crusty woman who is full of joy because she's in the presence of Jesus. Verse 43, and why is, she asked, why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? Elizabeth discerned that the baby that Mary was carrying was not just the son of Mary. He was the son of God who would become her Lord, not just Savior, Lord. And she submits to him on the spot. Verse 44, for 
Behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what the Lord spoke to her. There's really only one other question. What if Jesus really is God? What does that mean for us? That means magnification. Now look here at verse 46. G, uh, Mary burst into a song, and we have the lyrics recorded for us. Here's what it's, Mary said. My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. Now notice, first of all, Mary identifies God as her Savior. Now, some of you that may have been from a, uh, a Roman Catholic background, you may have been taught that Mary was sinless, she never sinned, and that you may, they may have even taught you that Mary had her own immaculate conception, that she was born sinless like Jesus. None of that is taught in the Bible. What is taught in the Bible is that Mary knew she needed a Savior. Only sinners need saviors. So Mary saw herself as a sinner. And she recognized Jesus was her Savior. So don't make too much of Mary. But don't make too little of Mary either. She's a wonderful example for how we who have been saved can magnify the Lord. Notice she says, my soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God my Savior. A few minutes ago, she was only operating at the intellectual level. How, why, give me answers. But after contemplation, she moves to magnification. She moves from head to heart. The soul, the spirit, that's the immaterial part of us. That's the part of us that was created to connect with God. It's the part of us that God regenerates and makes alive so that we can know him and love him and serve him and hear from him. And so it is now at her deepest part of her soul and her spirit that she's magnifying the Lord. One of the biggest problems in the American church is we never move from contemplation to magnification. We are content to contemplate the doctrine of the incarnation without magnifying the God of the incarnation. If that's you, I invite you to go to a deeper level in your worship. Doctrine turns into worship when contemplation turns into magnification. The song continues. She magnifies his strength. Look here at verse 51. Actually, I skipped a part. Verse 48. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. Verse 49. For he who is mighty has done great things for me. She magnifies his strength and his power. Notice because he's done great things for me. The angel told her intellectually, he will be great. You remember the song? Do I need to play it again? He will be great. Yeah, intellectually, okay. Out there, I know he's, some, he's great, but he's really distant. But notice, now she's at the soul level and she magnifies the Lord because he has done great things for me. Not just that he's great, He's done great things for me. What? When was the last time your spirit erupted in worship because you recognized that God had done something great for you? Did God do anything great for you this week? Did it erupt in magnification? 
That's what Mary's song tells us worship is all about. And then she magnifies the Lord for his holiness. In verse 49, he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. Then she magnifies the Lord's mercy. His mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. And so, do you fear the Lord? Verse 51. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud and the thoughts of their hearts. And he has brought down the mighty and the, their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things. Are you hungry this morning? Are you recognizing your poverty? You got nothing to offer God, even though you got a lot of money in the bank. You got nothing to make you right with God. Until you move to a humble hungry place you will never magnify the Lord she goes on verse, verse 54 he has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy he has spoke to our fathers to Abraham and to his offspring forever and Mary remained with her about three months and returned home question do you want to go where Jesus came from. You can't get there. But he left where he was from to come to where you are so he could take you to where he came from. It'll never happen if all you do is contemplate that. It will never happen if you swell up in pride and think you don't need that. If you're too good to come to a baby, if you're too good to come to a dirty manger, if you're too good to come to a hick place, you'll never get there. But if you will humble yourself and admit your need because of your sinfulness and cry out to him as a savior, you will recognize that what he did on the cross was a great thing for you. You can be saved. Let that reality swell in your heart so that you don't just contemplate it, but you magnify him in everything you do. The purpose of our existence is to act, think, and talk in a way that magnifies the Lord. Let's bow our heads. Would you just tell the Lord your need of him today in a fresh way, fresh cleansing of sin. Magnify his holiness. Magnify his mercy. Father, thank you for sending Jesus. God, we need to be saved as much today as we have ever needed you to save us. And so, thank you that we have a Savior that has done great things for us. I pray for my friends here, some that really feel like everything we've said is impossible. I pray that you would chase them down, open their eyes so that the gospel would be inescapable and eventually undeniable and we'd give our lives to magnifying you. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Why don't you stand with me? Let's sing our response to the Lord.